0: Fascinating to me to see how the internet has fueled and empowered entrepreneurs, creators, innovators. Today's conversation is no exception. While she started her path in the vineyards, she ultimately found her purpose in media, in branding, in social media, and the list goes on. She's an entrepreneur and as many of our guests have in common, she started very, very young. And if you're of the school that if you're a woman, you cannot have it all, Lauren Mylon is one of those figures that will completely turn your thoughts upside down. She is also a model. She's gorgeous. But I want you to focus on the story that she has to tell, which actually makes this podcast perfect because you're only going to get to hear Lauren and I talk to one another. Later, you can follow her on Instagram and see how fabulous she is. But for now, the story of Lauren Mylon.
1: Lauren how are you this morning I'm doing so well thank you for having me on culture soup
0: thank you so much for getting up early in the morning (laughs) for me I really appreciate it and also being one of my early guests that always is very meaningful so thank you
1: Oh, you're so welcome. I'm honored to um, to be a part of this, especially in the beginning stages, because I know it's going to be absolutely wonderful. So Thank I can you. say I was one of the first.
0: Yes, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Well, Lauren, you know, it's called the Culture Soup for a reason. And I travel the country talking about social media and culture and tech and business. And the whole idea around the Culture Soup is that I call social media Culture Soup. There's so many hashtags and so many sayings and emojis that underrepresented groups have taken a hold to and used all their own and the masses have caught on. So an example of that is I've seen the words hashtag boss or hashtag boss babe or boss lady and that has come from the women's movement even before hashtag me too and um, lean in all of that. We've seen boss babe on the internet. Um, Have you seen it? Have you
1: used it? I have seen it. Uh, I use it on occasion. I think I use boss maybe a little more uh, frequently, but that's only because I also use my hashtag the path redefined. And so I think when, um, as much as I love a lot of these empowering messages, I think that sometimes it's setting us up for failure. Um, or setting some of our followers up for failure. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the path redefined, I think allows A, it's my book, but B above and beyond that. I think it's still empowering to women um, and allows them the freedom to actually create what that future might be or what that bar for success might be. And in talking with a lot of young women, especially. Sometimes these hashtags are daunting. Sometimes they feel like a lot to live up to. And so, yes, if I'm feeling extra saucy, I may hashtag boss. Um, but I, I, I think I, I'm cautious with which hashtags I use, how and why, if you will.
0: You know what? I think you brought up an excellent point because even as I scroll through my Instagram and I see all the empowering words and I see all of the boss hashtags You mentioned them being daunting. And I do wonder sometimes if we overload on the black excellence.
1: Hmm. Wow. Uh, I don't think we can ever overload Mm -hmm. on the black excellence. Um, You know, it's interesting that you say that, though, because hashtag black excellence, hashtag black girl magic, hashtag black boy joy. Those are things that I use, but I don't use them every day. I don't even necessarily use them every week. And it's also because I think, as an influential woman, woman of color, um, as an influential woman of color, I feel, and I'm sure you feel a lot of the same, that um, we need to we need to be proud of our blackness, but we still need to be inclusive and approachable to all of the other cultures and races um, and ethnicities that we touch, that we interact with, and that we work with. So I am insanely proud of my blackness. But I also don't want anyone else who might not appreciate that in the same way that I do to feel as though it's the only thing I appreciate or it's the only thing I relate to. Right. And I think that's the risk that we, um, that we run in some senses. And it doesn't have to be a risk that we run if we're really good about the way we tell our story and the way that we communicate.
0: Right. And that's the culture piece of it. And the other part of the hashtag is excellence, and I wonder sometimes, as much as mediocrity is not what we should be aiming for, I do wonder if some people see the excellence and think that every day, every day, they have to be on it, on it, on it, on it, on it, and how realistic is that? Yeah, it's a goal, and it's aspirational, but to your point, can you look at someone else's highlights real and get disenchanted?
1: I think the answer is absolutely yes. I speak about this a lot. There are times when I do not post for a week or so, and people who know me well will text me and say, hey, girl, is everything okay? And, you know, most of the time it is okay. I appreciate people checking in, because um, I also don't think that we do enough of that in real life. Uh, but it is, um, you know, it's it's interesting. It's really, it's a difficult place to be. It's something that I said to A colleague and dear friend recently was it's so crazy yet so beautiful how social media has evolved because it's really to me a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. someone who has not the credentials and not the experience can become a star and have a career out of a kind of manufactured influence Mm -hmm. if you will And then the people who have been at this for a very long time—I've been an entrepreneur building businesses now for 14 and a half years, well before social media was a thing—and you know there are a lot of people out here with hella credentials Mm -hmm. and experience and education and checking all the boxes, but who are either late to digital, late to social, don't know how to embrace it, don't want to set aside the time to embrace it, feel as though they don't have to, Mm -hmm. and some very few of those people are still winning. When I was at Leading Women Define this year, um, Deborah Lee was there speaking about what her next steps would be. And she, you know, having run BET for all of these years, and and now, you know, that she's gone on into her retirement, was speaking about what are her next steps and how is she embracing social media and how does it kind of impact her? And that was a question Um, That came from the audience in a very small room, just curious about, you know, a, a lot of things that we don't maybe get the chance to ask of her. And she is one of the few people that has the ability and the privilege of saying, yeah, I'm into social. My daughter who's in media you know, and Young helps me out with, with all of these things, um, that I might not know or or be great at on social media, but that's not really my jam. And it doesn't have to be her jam because again, she's one of the few people whose credentials can absolutely stand alone and speak on their own. And she can still have these incredible board seats. Um, you know, she's on the board at, um, at Twitter and she's on the board at Marriott, and she was talking about contemplating her next board move, whereas there are so many people now who feel as though social media and having that amplification of your voice and your brand is what's gonna determine what opportunities come for you next. For those who, again, going back to the double-edged sword, where social media you know, can catapult the career of someone who's just new to the scene and came out of nowhere, It's also created a whole extra layer Mm -hmm. above and beyond your core expertise, whether you're a marketer, a brand strategist, an engineer, what have you, to say, I also have to throw in this media piece. I also have to throw in this Mm -hmm. social piece in order to stay relevant and known, or else all these folks who just kind of came up out of nowhere, who don't know what they don't know, are, are popular. And unfortunately, that also means that we're in a place now where people are recognizing that. You know, popularity is winning sometimes over substance.
0: Right, and you know what? You bring up a really good point. And early on, you used the word influential when you described yourself, and you didn't use the word influencer. And I went to jump up and go, yay! And the oh. reason is because of what you just highlighted about Deborah Lee. Deborah Lee has influence. She is absolutely an influencer. She may not be on social, but when this woman speaks, people move. Right. And isn't that the real definition of what influence actually means? It's come to kind of connotate something different because of the social media and digital world that we live in, where if you are beautiful and, you know, maybe you aren't known for anything in business or anything else, maybe you're a model and, you know, you can get a thousand trillion jillion followers And definitely be of influence because people will follow you and they will like you and brands will come your way. But then there are people who may have like 10 followers and they've done something incredible, you know, business wise, tech wise, all of that good stuff. And they still have influence, but they may not have that social influence. Do you know what I mean? I think that magic happens when you get all of that together and you've managed to do that.
1: Oh, why? Thank you. I think to your point, uh, what I observe as the difference is that thought leadership, subject matter expertise, used to be enough, and now there's this new bucket of social influence. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who don't want to play in that extra lane. They just they feel that it takes away from their their time, their bandwidth, whether that's their time to to work at their craft or their time to just simply enjoy their life it takes a lot of effort to to have a presence on social and to be consistent and thoughtful about it. And it also, I think, intimidates a lot of people because if you don't do it well, it can be the demise of your thought leadership um, and, and how you're perceived in the industry. And so I think some people who don't think that they're going to do it really well or do it consistently enough just opt out because it's it's like right. taking one one extra potential um, kind of one extra potential area um, that you can lose in off of the table. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. And, you know, some people worry about losing their authenticity because after a while, some of these Instagram streams kind of follow a formula, right? (laughs) You know, I'm getting on a plane, I'm wearing red bottom shoes, I am traveling here and I'm a boss babe, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you have your glam squad and you have people taking pictures of you and some folks are saying, well, you know, I kind of don't want to do that because is that really me? How do you strike a balance in staying authentic and doing social media the right way, especially for the Instagram crowd? Because they're different. It's not like LinkedIn, right?
1: Yeah. So I think for me, it is, um, it is, it starts with, realizing how comfortable I am sharing parts of my personal life. And, um, so I never put anything out that I don't feel comfortable sharing, that I don't feel comfortable with someone asking a question about whether it's a question in the comments or a question in the DMS or a question on a stage when I'm speaking. I realize that while, um, you know, while I have my, my influence in a little place that to someone, that's something larger. And that's a responsibility as well. It's not just a, Hey, I want to do something. So for me, my messages, um, you know, are always about how I'm genuinely feeling and what I'm really thinking. And, uh, I think it always makes it easier when it's, you know, there's a, you know, social media holiday that brings something, Um, you know, more to the forefront of conversation, or when there's been something in the news that's touching on a particular topic that's been heavy on my mind, I think there are some things that are absolutely difficult to talk about um, publicly. And, you know, there are some spaces where, uh, you know, you either opt to not discuss them, or or oftentimes you wait to see what other people are going to say before you start talking about it. And that can be a Me Too moment, that can be something about race, that can be something political, that can be something, you know, financial. Some people, you know, personally, I take issue with um, some of these younger girls. Um, I don't see as many of the guys doing it, but maybe that's also just based upon who I follow. But a lot of these young girls now are putting up their PayPal balances and account balances, talking about how great their business is doing. Oh. And I just, and i just wonder oh you don't see that it's like a no. they put a, they put a pic- oh yeah that. oh yeah they oh, put no. up their their paypal or their stripe or their square account balances for their business and they find themselves you know trying to empower um, other young women but the message falls flat because all i can think is are you empowering or are you boasting because if you're yeah. not going to actually tell somebody how they can achieve the success that you've had, and again, that success looks different. That can be that you made $1,000, $10,000, or $100,000, it doesn't really matter. But that to me kind of crosses this line of, why are you here using social? And so for me, it's always about sharing my story, sharing my experiences, and hopefully being able to impact someone else's life in a really positive way that's going to um, also let them know that everything's going to be okay. And one of the reasons that, um, you know, whenever I'm asked about, Oh, Lauren, why are you so transparent, uh, on social, especially my answer is always, and it just keeps getting worse and worse to tell you the truth, Mm -hmm. but it's that I worry about the people who don't know me personally Mm -hmm. or who haven't seen me, you know, having my elevator moment, getting ready (laughs) to go speak like you have, Mm -hmm. um, to show that I'm still human, that I still, you know, get nervous that I still, you know, second guess myself before a big talk or a big appearance, or you know, that I'm I'm still human, that I'm not perfect. Right. right. And so you you get to see that, and you've mm-hmm. experienced that firsthand. <laughs> yeah. um, and we're
0: gonna talk but, about that but, in a
1: minute. <laughs> but my biggest fear is that people find me today, or that they found me last year, or that they'll find me a year from now, and that they'll only see what looks like a highlight reel, and that mm-hmm. they won't think that I struggled. They won't think that I was unsure of myself. They won't think that I've gone through any of the tests, the life tests and struggles and challenges that fortify us and prepare us for what's next in life. And so if we don't continue to, to talk about those things because people can find you on social at any point in time, I never want anyone to just pop up and find me and think, Oh, kind of, you know, she woke up like this because the answer is no. Um, And so I always just, um, I think it's so important that people use it as a platform to obviously share all the parts of their life um, that they feel comfortable sharing, like the good, the bad, but that when you're sharing um, something and there's a lesson that can be told there that you do tell that lesson or that you have a place that's accessible to people where you can share those lessons. Um, Otherwise, I don't feel like we're uplifting each other at all.
0: I agree. And you know... This podcast is an opportunity for people to get to know me and my friends and get to know us in a way that's a little bit outside of the highlights real so we can be real, right? And I think the way we met was, I think it was awesome. Even though we met a second time at a dinner where we were all ready to get up on the dais and speak, <laughs> when I met you in the elevator at the Black Enterprise Um, Entrepreneur Summit in Miami in 2016 I walked in and this gorgeous woman is on the elevator and you were, I didn't mention this before but you were hiding behind some shades and you were kind of slumped in the corner and you're like oh my gosh I gotta get upstairs and get my makeup done, I gotta get my hair this hair, I don't know what I'm gonna do about this hair and I remember going you know what girl I I just need to tell you you don't know me but you are fabulous and don't you ever forget that (laughs) And you looked at me and you kind of peered over your glasses and you're like, thank you, girl. Thank you so much. (laughs) This was how we met. And I think it's, it it means more than even when we met again in New York almost a year later.
1: Yeah, I think, um, that's me. And anybody who knows me knows I'm a little crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm super real and I'm often, you know, unfiltered, uh, and when I don't feel my best, I don't feel my best. I don't hide it. I really, truly don't hide it. So, you know, I think that's um, that's actually the reason why a lot of these times at these conferences, I don't want to stay at the host hotel because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because, <laughs> because you can't enjoy the beach or the spa or the gym or, you know, I was speaking um, at a huge conference, uh, about 10,000 people in Las Vegas um, in May. And um, where were we staying? At the... Um, at the, uh, I think it was the Cosmopolitan, mm-hmm. whichever it was. Oh, the Aria. The Aria is the mm-hmm. hotel that it was. Staying at the Aria in Las Vegas. And I, I wanted to go to the gym. The gym is like my ministry. That's my right. thing. And um, they tell me where the gym is. I had never stayed at this hotel. I saw the pictures. because They have everything on the screen in the hotel rooms. Ooh, the gym looks banging. I can't mm-hmm. wait to get my sweat on. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have like the good, good machines. Yeah. Awesome. Of course they do. It's the Aria in Las right. Vegas. But what they don't say is that you have to walk like to the third floor Uh promenade past the starbucks Mm -hmm. past the fresh juice bar through (laughs) the area where the conference was taking place (laughs) to get to the gym Mm -hmm. and like there were people down there for the 8 a.m breakfast and i wasn't speaking till like noon and so i had another one of those moments where i was like okay sunglasses on hat on i actually had come down the elevator seeing that it wasn't directly to the gym, mm-hmm. went back up to my room to get shades and a hat to mm-hmm. go back, to go back yeah. again.
0: That's the truth about these meetings. I met Patty LaBelle that way. And, and I could tell she was, she didn't want to meet anybody. She was in an elevator and she had not been glammed up and she was over in the corner like, I hope these people don't recognize me. <laughs> and something told me to not out this lady on this elevator because she does not want to be outed. <laughs> And it wasn't until she got off and we got kind of down the hallway that I was like, "Miss Label," And she's like, yeah, girl. I was like, okay. Hey, how you doing? She's like, okay. And she just kind of rushed off. <laughs> but I, I, I can, I can understand that. Like you're trying to have your private moment and you want to have your big reveal when it's time to get on that stage, not a moment before when you're having your ministry moment.
1: Yeah. And honestly, for me, my, um, my workout time and my relaxation time, whether that's, you know, sitting by the pool or sitting on the beach. Um, and I don't remember where exactly I was coming from, but I know I had been just out and about, so I might've just very well been chilling, you know, outside by the pool. But those moments for me are like, it's my time to get in my own head. And so, uh, it's part of a routine that I have. And so I think when you're also trying to break your routine. It's, it's difficult and it's already hard enough when you have a life with a lot of travel and a lot of responsibilities to make sure that you are honoring those routines and those rituals that, that keep you fortified.
0: Lauren, you opened your first lemonade stand when you were how old?
1: I was 11. <laughs> so
0: that was your first business and that's awesome. Tell me about that experience.
1: Um, well, you know, I grew up with a very, a very strict dad and um, and a mom who always, of course, wanted the best for me. And But there was this thing my dad would always say to me as a child, which was, when you were old enough to make your own money, when you're old enough to make your own money, you can make your own rules and you can put your own roof over your own head. And so you know, from a young age, I always wanted to make my own money so I could put my own roof over my head so I could make my own yeah. rules. Pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, so the lemonade stand was like part one. And so that summer I went to camp, but I was done at three and I would come home and I would do my lemonade stand across the street. And then I would start selling iced tea. And I went from small Dixie cups to a big Dixie cup. So I had 50 cent size and a dollar size, which back in the day, that was, that was something y'all. Um, that was about what, $3 and $4 today. But, um, (laughs) But that was my, my first foray beyond something that my parents could control, like chores or an allowance. I wanted to be able to, you know, see, see what I could do and what I could make on my own. And so it was that, it was that lemonade stand and I loved doing it. I loved operating my own little enterprise. My fanny pack would get so full with cash that I would have to go and take the money home when I would re up. I would go run across the street to my building where I lived and my mom was helping me make the next batches and I'd have to carry the jugs across the street and I would sell it on a table that I made in wood shop at school that I had painted. I made my sign. It was this whole thing. But I loved having my lemonade stand and it gave me a lot of confidence, um, not just in myself, but in in my ambitions. And I think that confidence in my ambitions um, has, that's been a theme in my life going forward.
0: Awesome. So, you know, everything that I do around the podcast, the writing, the speaking, it's all at the intersection of tech, culture and business. And as I continue to talk to my friends on this podcast, I, I'm realizing something that I had not, you know, and that sometimes you have to like line things up in a row and then look at them. Right. But every last one of us has this entrepreneurial spirit, like the bug bit us at some time in life and it never shook us we are we never shook it we never let go of it and you started out when you were 12 and then what didn't you own a vineyard at some point
1: i did so i modeled for a long time Um, and then when i was 19 i started my first official business which was a vineyard Um, i purchased a 126 acre estate in charlottesville virginia a small town actually a little bit south of, of Charlottesville called North Garden. And, you know, I was I was very excited um, at the opportunity, but I hadn't quite mapped out exactly how everything was going to play out. And I didn't really have a strategy to tell you the truth. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes there there are times in life where an opportunity presents itself and you feel like you just have to jump on it at all cost because it won't be there and you'll figure it out later. And that for me was one of those moments. Um, the price was right. The property was great. The location was awesome. And I was just going to figure out everything else after that. And, um, and so I ended up working with my team and my accountants and saying, okay, how do how am I going to kind of operate this land? And so we decided to put 5 acres under vine and plant it um, with three different varietals of grapes chardonnay cabernet sauvignon cabernet franc um, later on we grew into to other varietals Petit mansang vidal blanc Petit bordeaux um, and and at one point had up to nine different wines but you know I before any you
0: and ask you yeah. where was the vineyard located
1: So it was in the Charlottesville area of Virginia. So the Monticello region in a small town called North Garden. Mm -hmm. Uh, So very close to Thomas Jefferson's Monticello. Uh, At the time, Dave Matthews, the musician, had just launched a winery called Blenheim. And so in the very beginning from 19 to 21, um, I was a grape grower. And so those years I was a vineyard owner. I was a grape grower. But lo and behold, the fruit was the bomb and everybody, you know, was having Bidding wars for my fruit, literally, <laughs> and um, you know, price per ton was increasing simply because people knew how good the fruit was, um, and and I didn't expect that. So that for me was another was another curveball. It was like, okay, let's strategize around this really quick. So I'm not just selling grapes or any old grapes. I'm selling some really incredible grapes that people are going on to make vineyard designate, award winning wines out of. Like that's insane, and so at the end of the second harvest, I announced, um, to the industry in Virginia that we were not going to sell grapes anymore. And that given how incredible the fruit had been and what it had yielded for everybody else, we were going to start making our own wine. And so that's exactly what I did. And so at the end of the, um, second harvest, we stopped selling grapes and the 2006 harvest. So by this time I was 21, uh, was the first harvest that we used to make my own wine brand sugar leaf vineyards. And then it takes, you know, about a year for wine to actually ferment and the whole process to turn into alcohol and to, to age and then to get bottled and labeled and have a cork and a capsule and to be ready for the world. So that process before anybody drinks it is, you know, at least seven, eight months um, and and upwards of that, you know, with some other wines that are aging for a longer period of time. But I opened the tasting room to the public August of 2007. So at this point I was 22. Wow. Um, I was still in college in New York, full time at FIT, um, thinking that I was going to go into fashion, studying international trade and marketing. I was also at this point married and pregnant with my son, my first child, Jaden. So he was born December of 2007. So Q4 of 2007, Q3, Q4 was a really, um, a really pivotal moment um, in my life and in my career It's when I, I really fully stepped into entrepreneurship and, um, you know, becoming a business owner. It's when I stepped into motherhood. It's when I stepped into becoming not just a business owner, but an employer. Uh, it was, it was a learning curve for sure, but it was
0: juggling a lot, Lauren.
1: That was a ton. I, I was juggling a lot. And it's actually funny because I, uh, when I first started going to college at FIT, I was still modeling. And so I was going originally just part-time in in the evenings. I was going 12 credits a semester, 6 to 9 p.m., four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I realized, man, 120 credits to graduate, that's going to take me a long time at this rate of 12 credits a semester. So eventually, um, about two years later, I went to school full-time and I still ended up finishing on what would have been a four-year full-time schedule because I also did summer sessions. And then I was doing online sessions and I went from 12 credits to 21 credits, which was the max plus maxing out my summer sessions. And when it all came out in the wash and we got to my very last semester of school, I was going to be three credits short. And so even if I was taking the maximum of 21 credits, I was going to be three credits short from graduating. So I had to make a, um, a meeting with the president of the school, Joyce Brown, who's also a sister, by the way, mm-hmm. sister runs FIT. And I had to have a meeting with, with Joyce Brown to get her sign off on the ability to take 24 credits, you know, to take wow. three credits, one class over the maximum course load that was allowed by the school. And I was there early stages of my pregnancy saying to her, "Miss Joyce, I, I, I cannot have a business. I'm about to have a baby. And as much as I love the school and as much as distance learning and online courses are great, I I can't add that to my plate. So can I please take this extra class (laughs) so that I could be done? And so I took twenty-four credits last semester of two thousand seven while pregnant, while opening my business to the coffee girl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, While opening my business to the public. So it was wild. It was wild. Mm -hmm. God's grace is incredible. And that for all of the trials that I have been thrown in life, and there have been, oh, so many, so many uncertainties, so many hurtful times, so many difficult times, uh, most of them for me personally, not not really professionally, but it impacts every part of your life. It impacts every part of your your being, your business, how you show up in the world. And for all of the trials and tribulations that I've had, I have also had the most incredible amount of blessings and opportunities. And it's been, it's been the most serendipitous evolution. Um, how I am, where I am right now today. It was funny because I'll never forget. I've actually never said this to anybody, but when I was going through my divorce, which was a nightmare, uh, my attorney at the time said to me, uh, everyone thinks they're going to go write a book your life has not been that difficult. It's like every woman who gets divorced says they're going to go on and do this and do that. And I wasn't even talking about writing books, but it was actually, um, it, there was actually a piece of that process that we were negotiating and it had a lot to do with freedom of voice, if you will. And I just knew that I wasn't going to be silenced and I wasn't going to be, um, made to experience something so difficult and put in a place where I was going to have to act as though it never happened. And that didn't necessarily mean that I wanted to go around the world talking about it because even yet and still it's something that I don't talk about, um, really at all with a level of, of, you know, detail and insight that's going to let anybody know I'm not going to really spill the tea. Um, and that's just because I have, you know, the utmost respect for my children and the utmost love for my children and, 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 what their experiences might be. But I do remember that my attorney said to me Mm -hmm. at that point, Oh, it doesn't matter anyway. It's not like you're going to go write a book or go into media. So what does it matter if you, you know, what does it matter if you kind of have this privilege of voice or not?
0: He's spoken to your life.
1: And I was just like, well, you know, actually, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but I want all the options on the table. And what I'm not going to have is have any option off the table simply because someone thinks that they can silence me or control me. And so it's funny that I ended up writing a book that I have gone into media proper, um, that I have the the audience and following and influence Mm -hmm. that I have because Mm -hmm. I never... I never, ever thought that that was going to be me and I was late to the game. I was super late to social media. Uh, I wasn't on Facebook until just a few years ago. I'd have to go back into my account, but I think probably six years ago, I don't think I was on Facebook until like 2012, maybe 2011, maybe I was on in 2011, but I was late compared to other people that were my age, um, that were, you know, the early adopters. I was late to Instagram. My account was private up until months before my book came out in 2014 simply because I wasn't, I didn't look at myself in that way and I wasn't really ready for that. So um, the evolution has been, it's surprised me at many times and sometimes I have to stop um, in order to process it and embrace it before I can really move forward. But it has been the most most beautiful, reaffirming and um, empowering moments of my life to realize that There is so much we think we might not be capable of doing, and certainly raising two kids entirely on my own for the last eight years was not eight and a half years, actually, Um, since November of 2009. I never thought I could do that. I remember the time when I was sitting there going, I can't do this. Like I can't raise two kids in New York City by myself and take care of all their needs financially, emotionally, physically, getting them places. I remember the days when I looked at just one school for them because I was like, maybe there's a better fit, but I need a co-ed school because logistically I need one drop off. I need one pickup. I need the same school calendar. I need, And it's been miraculous what I've been able to do and accomplish and prove to myself that I can do. And it's been even more astounding even to me to prove to myself what I am capable of accomplishing that allows me to provide in the way that I can now provide that I never thought I could.
0: Well, you, you know, that's something we hadn't connected on either. I'm a mom in chief. And um I've raised Joni since she was 5 months old by myself. So I have a respect for women who just power through no matter what. And these kids are happy. You can look at them and tell and they're surrounded by love and that's that's not to be, you know, glossed over. That's amazing. And of all the ministries that we have, whether it's business, you know, whether it's a hobby, <laughs> whether it's a book that we've written, whatever it might be, those kids are our ultimate masterpiece and they reflect everything that we are as parents. You agree? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They are my greatest, greatest achievement.
0: So tell us about the book.
1: Oh gosh. So the path redefined, um, came out in 2014, which now seems like forever ago. So we're thinking about doing uh, another addition to the book because I'm always asked, you know, what's next? When's the next book? And I really, truly don't feel as though I've lived enough new life experience to write an entirely new book, but I can certainly add a couple chapters, um, to, to the book that came out a few years ago and make a new version of the path redefined because I've certainly, already redefined my own path since then, um, which has been, again, another, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've done it moment. But The Path Redefined is a story of my life and my career as a woman, as an entrepreneur, as a single mother to two children. And, And really at the heart of it, it's a book about defining and attaining success on your own terms. And learning to compete just with the best version of yourself and to create your personal best each and every day. And, you know, especially now success looks different for everyone. There are some people who, you know, they want, they want the closest thing to having it all that's possible. And they're willing to have lesser versions of everything in order to have everything. There are some people who want to have you know, financial success. There's some who want to have nothing but influence. There's some who want to overindex on being a mom and nothing else matters because they have done or have accomplished, you know, their career goals or their financial goals in life already. Or they they say, I don't need to accomplish that right now. I'm gonna focus first on on my family and on being a parent. And then I'm going to focus on conquering those financial goals and their career goals later in life. But it's a book that reminds us of how we can design our life um, to be successful in all the areas that we desire to, to achieve success in, and that we are the only ones who can define what that looks like. And we are also the only ones in the driver's seat that will determine when and how we attain that success.
0: Wow. Yeah. I haven't read it. I'm going to pick it up. Um, I want to read it. And for those who are listening, where can they get it?
1: it's on Amazon. Um, it's available wherever books are sold, but you know, I think Amazon or online is the easiest way. It's also where there is, um, a Kindle, a Kindle version as well for anyone that wants to read it electronically. But, you know, it's actually a book that I have gone back to, to read myself, uh, especially in the last couple of months to remind myself of my own advice, because as life, um, continues, I think it's so easy to get, um, preoccupied, not necessarily distracted, but just, you know, a little preoccupied and we all need those reminders. So I'm working on a lot of different things right now that provide those reminders, not just for me, but for the other people who have been touched, um, by the book or by my story. But I think we constantly need, um, you know, I honestly think that at one point therapy was the thing and therapy is still great. Uh, but now with so many different people that are out there sharing their story and sharing their truth, whether, you know, an influencer or a coach or um, just a destination Mm -hmm. online, I feel that a lot of people are looking to these new sources for the information that they might have looked to a therapist for or, um, you know, a mentor for or just, just as a different sort of sounding board. And as crazy as that sounds, I think we all know already from life that oftentimes we feel most comfortable sharing the most difficult and painful parts or the most scary questions that we're dying to ask to someone that we feel as though we know, but don't really know. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I have people that ask me what they think might be the craziest thing. And I, all I can say sometimes is I'm so happy that you've asked me, um, and so I recognize how easy that can be for someone when you feel like the other person either won't judge you or even if they do judge you, you don't have to sit in their judgment because they're not right in front of you.
0: There's some people that know you for your television show. So you mentioned media and that did happen Yeah. so talk about the show.
1: Oh, wow. So that was another awesome experience. Um, I had a television show, uh, on oxygen, which is owned by NBC Comcast universal, uh, 2016, it was called quit your day job. So it was an investment show um, that showed myself, Randy Zuckerberg, Ido Leffler, and Sarah Purvett as entrepreneurs who are also investors. Um, it showed the real life experience of what it is like to be an angel investor And also what it is like to be an entrepreneur and what we look for as angel investors by being able to have these conversations with potential portfolio companies and then to test where we feel they are weak. And so that's what we did on the show. You got to see how we thought. Um, You got to have a sneak peek into how these entrepreneurs think and how they feel when they have to go up um, and get ready to raise money from a group of prominent angel investors, and then you add the layer of doing it on television, then you add the layer of, um, the unexpected surprise and the challenge that we will present to them to kind of have them prove themselves to us. And you ended up with this incredible one hour long TV show, um, that ran for, for two months every week. Uh, allowing people to have a sneak peek into what that world was wow. like and also into how we could change their lives through investing in their businesses and believing in their dreams. And so that shows quit your day job and um, it did really well. And uh, it's not on the air anymore. Oxygen has has transitioned into a different sort of network um, with a different focus that no longer speaks to to women specifically or to investing. But it was an awesome, awesome, awesome experience. And uh, it was a great launch pad for a lot of other um, opportunities in media since then.
0: Any new projects you can talk about um, that you might want to share?
1: Well, gosh, there's so many new exciting things! I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to ask if I can come back on Culture Soup. But oh sure. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I've I've gotten bit with this storytelling bug, and so you know, through my career and doing different things. Um, both entrepreneurially, in venture capital, in speaking, in marketing, in storytelling. It has, much like how you um, are interested in in sitting at this intersection of tech, media, and culture, or tech, business, and culture, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting at this intersection of marketing, media, and culture. I love it. And, um been super creative recently and have been creating projects and I never really saw myself as a creator. Uh, but that said, um, in a production deal now to create my very first media project. So I'll have to share, share more on that, um, with you as soon as I can, but yeah, I never saw myself as a creator. So I think I'm stepping into, um, a new title. I am definitely stepping into a new title and we'll see how that goes, but I'm really excited to learn more, um, and to push myself to do something I haven't ever done before. And I'm excited to see where that takes me, um, and to come back and, and share it with you and see where we land.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know what, Lauren, I have to thank you. You're an amazing girlfriend. You're one of my newer ones, but <laughs> you just so supportive and you know, I can always reach out to you and you can always reach out to me and we have positive vibes and, just love it and you're a wonderful mom to those kids um you are an incredible entrepreneur and you have an amazing mind so I can't wait to see what's next and oh on top of that you're fabulous that trip (laughs) to Paris oh my gosh in Egypt the pictures were (laughs) phenomenal so you got to tell everybody where to find you online
1: so I am online at laurenmylan.com that's l-a-u-r-e-n M-A-I-L-L-I-A-N dot com and I'm on social media at Lauren Mylan everywhere so follow me on Instagram Twitter find me on Facebook um, facebook facebook.com forward slash Lauren Mylan official and I would love to connect with all of you and um, keep the culture sleep going online and keep answering your questions and hopefully being that girl that inspires you to reach for the stars and to feel as though nothing that you want to accomplish is ever out of reach
0: awesome thank you so much lauren everyone lauren my line thank you so much that wraps us up today don't forget to tell a friend to subscribe to the culture soup podcast find us on instagram and twitter at the culture soup. you can also find more at the culture soup The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Silos Communication.